It's hot in here. How's the weather in Hawaii in general? You know, it's warm. The last two times, the two times that I've been here before, we came in November for our honeymoon, and then we were here with my parents or my family. Yep. And I think January. So like, it was definitely cooler <laughs> both the times that we were here before, yeah. or that I was I've been here before. Instead of um, August, yeah. It's very hot, um, which is fine, you know, if you're down by the beach. and you Like, how hot's very hot? Is it, like, 90s? Like, hot yeah, 90s? Yeah, it's in the 90s, but, I mean, like, I'm also just a wuss. Like, sure. I, just, I don't like hot weather know. very much. Um, you know, you're a Colorado boy now. Right, so that's what I'm saying. It's 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 hot to me. We did a um, we did a little snorkel cruise this morning. We cruised out to a little volcanic crater and snorkeled around in there. Is that the type of snorkeling where, like, how deep do you like go stay on the surface, or do you kind of go yeah, down yeah. a little bit? Okay. Yeah, snorkeling. You just stay well, the they have like deep. new snorkeling I've seen with like really longer. Like you can actually get down like whoa, like twenty that, feet down and stuff. That sounds wild. No, they had some snuba equipment in this boat, and I'm not sure what the difference between a snuba and a scuba is, but I think it's like uh, maybe that's what like you're talking about. You're like tethered to a, you have like a rebreather, but it's like tethered. It's yeah. not a tank that you strap on. It's like a tank that like floats on the surface. So you can like. Yeah, you can go, go down, down like. Yeah, maybe yeah, that's, yeah. I think I've probably seen that. But, could be, could be. Yeah. That was not what we did. We snorkeled out to Molokini Crater off the coast of Maui, where we are vacationing. It was lovely. It was beautiful. I didn't see any sharks. So that was good. Then we, you know, had a nice little cruise back in. The boat was very slow. But you know, it's uh, it's island time. So how's the weather there? Is it pretty sunny? Oh, it's very sunny here. Well, then officially we can welcome Hawaii into the Chiefs Kingdom. Welcome in to It's Always Sunny in Chiefs Kingdom, which is exactly what it sounds like, a podcast about the Kansas City Chiefs that gets its soul from reference humor provided by It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. We are brought to you, as always, by your home of the Chiefs news on Al Gore's internet, Sports Illustrated's Arrowhead Report, which you can find at si.com slash NFL slash Chiefs and on Twitter at Arrowhead Report. You can find and interact with us on the Bird app ourselves, me hiding in plain sight with the handle at Taylor underscore wit and my vacationing cohort, Austin, who has confounded enemies large and small for years under the banner of Real Bird Lawyer. Austin, how'd I do with the intro? Oh, that was magical. I think we should make you do the intro all the time. <laughs> I, I'm, it's very relaxing for me to just sit here in my condo on the coast of Maui, soaking in the trade winds and let you do all the work. Yeah, Perfect. well, we uh, we do have a great show lined up for the folks this week. Uh, Austin is enjoying the scenery in Hawaii, as he said. We're doing a little Freaky Friday situation. I'm hosting the show, except instead of you then taking over my job producing, I'm just also still doing that part. Which yeah, sure, but I'm here. I'm talking. You're hosting. It's wall to wall details, but I'm I've have the hardest job as all of all, and that's that's talking to you. That's right. Exactly. And you just wait until I go on vacation. You're going to get a crash course in audio editing, buddy. Sure. Yeah, it'll be great. 
So out in St. Joe, of course, the pads are on. The Mahomes sound bites are gold. The, mm, Chiefs, buddy. The, the Chiefs still have their sights set on the perfect season. And Saturday, two days from right now, we are recording this on Thursday. Saturday marks their first preseason game against our old friends, the San Francisco 49ers. Oof. We are going to cover some training camp, news, 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 and then we'll finish with the offseason staple of what is happening. <laughs> but Austin, put a pause on your hawau and lauau. Let's get to the the Chiefs released their first unofficial 90-man depth chart of the season, and it takes into account some of the injuries, guys like Thornhill, Mike Remmers, Kyle Long, but it also shouldn't really be taken too seriously. But th- that said, let's take it seriously and let's use it to talk about the camp news. I'm ready. Let's take it way, way too seriously. Way too seriously. So on offense, we're going to start off first. Um, our My first camp hype story that we talk about every time we start this thing off is the offensive line. The starters right now are listed as Brown, Tooney, Humphrey, Smith. Though That four is extremely sexual. But then the recent back spasms issues with right tackle Mike Remmers have elevated Lucas Niang starting at the right tackle spot. What's your first official gut reaction to seeing Lucas Niang as a starting right tackle? Well, obviously, Mike Rimmers is the starter. We know that when he was signed in the offseason, his agent put out as soon as he signed with the Chiefs that he was the starting <laughs> right tackle. That's and right. This depth chart would not indicate that, but of course, he's still making his way back from back spasms. I hope that Diang shows out. I mean, it would be great to see him step in right away and ball out, if, especially if Mike Rimmers is going to be out for a while. And that's just back spasms. You just never know. I mean, yeah, we kind of heard with Mitch Schwartz last season, the Chiefs right tackle, who had an outrageous consecutive snap streak that was snapped in 2019 against Tennessee. And he just left the game and he had a back injury and he never had surgery and he just was done for the season. It's just is so hard to tell with offensive linemen, especially guys over 30, which I think Remmers is 30 or 31. Yeah, Uh, It just is really hard to say when he's going to be back and and when he's going to be back at full strength. So, you know, I think it's good that he's ahead of Andrew Wiley already. Uh, that's a little bit surprising that Niang, the essentially the rookie, is already out in front of Wiley at that right tackle position. Man, I I mean, I'm all for seeing three rookies from center to right guard to right tackle, but it's just an interesting situation for sure. Yeah, very intriguing. And you know, we talked a little bit about earlier in a couple of the shows ago about Niang's kind of rough start to camp, and he showed up to the offseason program a little overweight, and he was kind of getting worked a little bit. But Charles Goldman of uh, the Chiefs Wire had this to say about Niang this week: He settled down nicely, and uh, after he started to show out in recent practice sessions, the run game hmm. is, a, is a clear strength with a with his six foot seven frame. But he's also getting more and more comfortable in pass protection. Niang has earned the starting nod. So. Charles is definitely sold on that. And, you know, he's the type of guy that, like you said, it's, it's rookies, but it's not rookies along the line as if it's like, you know, a, a middling to lower team that just has to plug them in. Like Creed Humphrey, Trey Smith, and Lucas Yang have elevated throughout through the depth chart to be the stars. I mean, they're, you know, they could easily be starting Austin Blythe, LDT, although we'll talk about him in a little bit because not anymore, but uh, Andrew Wiley, guys like that, they're veterans that have been around the block, but instead they're showing those rookies that they're, you know, they believe in them. And that's just really fun for a depth perspective. Yeah. And I'll say this too. I mean, one of the things that you would prefer to have if you're going to be starting a rookie out at 
one of the outside positions at a tackle spot. And this is kind of what the Colts were hoping to do. Not that Eric Fisher's a rookie, but they kind of were hoping that they'd have, you know, a guard, uh, an all pro guard to kind of solidify a, a little bit of a dicey tackle position. Obviously the better you feel about your guards, you know, the more confident you can be in the help that they're going to be able to provide to your tackles. And I mean, I think in some ways this almost says about as much as Trey Smith. Yeah. as it does about Lucas Niang, which is that they feel so good about Trey Smith that like, I mean, okay, we're essentially starting three rookies from center to the right side. Like you have to have a lot of confidence, especially with the depth that they've built in the offensive line over the off season to be able to say, even at this very preliminary juncture, like these are our guys. If the season started today, this would be the starting lineup. And I, I mean, that's awesome. It means these guys are showing up. And so speaking of the right guard position, that is the position that Trey Smith is currently listed at. Laurent Duvernay Tardif, who is listed second, suffered a broken hand, broken bone in his hand, and he's expected to miss four to six weeks, which includes the entire preseason. So if it wasn't the Trey Smith show already, it most certainly is now. He's been the guy that's been absolutely getting the camp hype with all of his you know, performances in the one-on-ones, just all the the quick elevation that the sixth rounder has shown. I mean, he looks immediately like he's going to be one of the best guards in football. It's just impossible to think that this guy slipped all the way to the sixth round. Every time we talk about him for the rest of the season, I'm going to think about how much of a boon that draft was for the Chiefs. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it it really is. It really is nuts. Matt Verderame put a good article in this week a lot of good Chiefs content came out this week in terms yeah. of long reads but he did a really long article about the Chiefs offseason and mentioned in there kind of the draft process for Trey Smith and I think it was as early as the kind of the beginning of the fifth round that they were kind of like talking actively to their medical personnel going through the medicals you know feeling confident about where they could draft him and feel good about you know if it didn't work out burning the pick but obviously yeah the early return suggests that it may work out tremendously for the Chiefs and I, I got to think, I mean, like you, you obviously you hear it with the most famous sixth round draft pick in NFL history of all time, pick number 199, Tom Brady. Until Trey but Smith. Like, until Trey Smith. That's exactly right. Soon to be the best sixth round pick in NFL history. <laughs> we'll give him a couple years at least to, to overtake Tom. But I mean, every time I think about that, it, like you have to think how pissed off every other team in football has to be because every team in the NFL passed on him multiple times. Even the Seahawks, who had like two picks, yeah. would have had to pass on him twice um, or th- even three times. I think he had three picks total, and I don't know if, if they were all before the sixth round. But you just think every time he lines up on the field, the GM of whatever team is spraying off against the Chiefs is going to be like, God <laughs> damn it, why didn't I draft that guy yeah. at the end of the fifth round? What was I doing letting him fall to the Chiefs? And it just is – it's one of those things where – when you're a well-run organization and you have Patrick Mahomes, you have the best quarterback in the NFL. You have a great head coach in Andy Reid. You have Brett Veach. You can afford to take some swings yep. that other teams maybe don't feel comfortable taking. And if it works out for you, that just puts you all that much further ahead. Yeah, you just double down on your advantage. It's awesome. Uh, so let's move on from the offensive line, which has been an interesting development. And we'll switch real quick to the guys that they're going to be opening holes up for, the running backs. Uh, the depth right there is Clyde Edwards-Hilaire listed first, Daryl Williams second, Jarek McKinnon three, Darwin Thompson four. It's it's hard for me to imagine Darwin Thompson really keeping a spot on the opening week roster. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's tough because obviously they have in the past – before Anthony Sherman's retirement, they've always carried a fullback. And 
it's hard if they're going to carry a fullback and Michael Burton is the only guy listed at fullback right now, former saint. Uh, he's the only guy listed on the fullback depth chart right now. You would think that they are not going to carry four full running backs and a yep. fullback. That would be five guys that are only going to be playing running back or fullback. Obviously Michael Burton's the only guy that really has the size to really play a true fullback role. Now, I guess they could play somebody like Blake Bell or Noah Gray could yeah. slide into, you know, kind of that halfback H back fullback rotation uh, along with Michael Burton as Anthony Sherman played from time to time. Um, but I just don't see Clyde, Daryl, and Jarek McKinnon all making the team. And then Darwin, you know, I, I hope he shows out. Obviously, he was on the COVID list, and that means he probably has not gotten the poke. Uh, he was out running hills this week, said he had a lot of ground to make up. I mean, he's a guy that, that when he was drafted was a workout warrior, and I don't doubt his ability to show out physically. It just seems like he hasn't shown the development on the mental side of it to be able to integrate in the offense and with a running back, that's tough because really relatively speaking, running back is a pretty easy position to learn. Right. Uh, and I just don't know that we've seen it necessarily with Darwin. So I, I think it would be cool. It would be great if he showed out because to be honest with you, I think either he or McKinnon could be guys that could potentially fetch, you know, an interesting little swing tackle prospect or a late round draft pick, or, you know, even yeah. somebody like Charvarius Ward a couple of years ago, we've, talked about that a lot how he was a flip for parker erringer uh in training camp and so you know it'd be great if he shows out but no i i'd say as things stand right now i would be very surprised if he was able to crack the roster yeah and that's a tough one two three for him to you know it'd be one thing if darwin was performing like this but he kind of had a, a shallow running back room in front of him but i mean clyde daryl and mckinnon have all shown that they're you know they're clearly solidified there so i do think he's probably in trouble, which is, which is too bad for Darwin. Hopefully if the chiefs do have to end up releasing him that, you know, he catches on with another team that could use his abilities and maybe we'll see something out of him sometime down the road. So moving on from the running backs, um, I don't know if this was a surprise at the tight end depth chart, considering, you know, how the chiefs handle this type of situation, but even with all the hype for Noah Gray, he is still listed as tight end three behind Blake Bell tight end two, but I think that's probably just a formality. I bet, you know, a million bucks that Gray sees more snaps than Bell this season. Do you make anything with that depth chart or not really? Not really. I think that it's it's tough, right? The whole concept of depth charts is really kind of unusual when you get into positions like wide receiver and like tight end, not so much with running back and tackle in the, the offensive line positions, but a position like wide receiver or a position like run or not running back, but a position like tight end different guys on the team are going to be better at doing different things. Mm -hmm. And Blake Bell and Noah Gray don't really play the same position in the sense that Blake Bell is very much a guy that's out there to block. And he's very much a guy that's out there to help you in the run game and the belldozer. Yeah. To help you shore up pass protection. I mean, he can catch the ball from time to time. He caught a touchdown against the Texans in the playoffs a couple of years ago, but he's not there to do Travis Kelsey things. Like he's not really a direct replacement for Travis Kelsey. If Travis Kelsey were to go down, the guy that would immediately step in and take most of Travis Kelsey's snaps would be Noah Gray. Yeah. And so, you know, it goes for the wide receiver depth chart, which we're going to talk about next too. You know, you're talking about the second guy on the depth chart at that. It's not like he's the guy that would, would step up and fill immediately the same role as the guy in front of him if somebody were to get hurt. So at this point in time, I don't really put a whole lot of stock in it. It would be cool 
if Gray had elevated himself to number two tight end. But, you know, rookies got to pay their dues. And yeah. some of the rookies have. It is interesting that some of them are already in starting spots and Noah Gray is not has not cracked the top two on the depth chart yet. But I, I don't make too much of it. Yeah, that's fair. So the wide receiver depth chart is is another interesting one. You have your oh first boy. two is as Tyreek and McColl are listed as your wide receivers. I mean, two. that's pretty interesting in and of itself, but go on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's right. I mean, uh, we talked a little bit earlier about how, um, you know, McColl had D Rob and Pringle breathing down his neck, which, you know, identified him as the wide receiver two. And that's how the first depth chart breaks out. Byron Pringle and Demarcus Robinson are listed as the three and four at this point, I thought five and six were a little interesting. So behind those two, which I think most people would have slotted in as three and four, we have Antonio Callaway and Marcus Kemp. So Mm -hmm. Marcus Kemp has been, you know, a a stud. He's been getting a ton of buzz this camp as kind of is his game. That's kind of what he likes to do. That's classic Marcus. Kemp. (laughs) It is, but it does seem like, you know, this is a little bit different. He's caught some really nice touchdowns. He he kind of seems like a guy that is finally in his, he's been grinding for four years and maybe in his fifth year, he's going to actually get some NFL playing time. We haven't seen much in camp from fifth rounder Cornell Powell, who's actually listed ninth behind the likes of Doris Fountain and number two, Gehrig Dita. <laughs> it's funny every time. That's, that's a Derek Jeter reference for you youngins out there that don't remember uh, Derek Jeter or the Yankees longtime announcer. I'm not going to remember his name off the top of my head. He passed away several years, probably been a decade now. Uh, but that's the joke there. That's the reference there. RIP to Yankees longtime public address announcer, Bob Shepard, who was the that's PA voice Shepherd. from 51 to 2007 for, for six years and then died in 2010, which feels like it was much more recent than that but i guess that's how long you and i have not cared about baseball (laughs) okay so back to the receivers yeah this is a really interesting depth chart um i'm gonna start with mccall at number two we've been kind of talking about this for weeks now ever since camp opened and mccall was coming in with a lot of hype like again as we were just talking about with the tight ends like wide receiver is not a it is the same position group but you have three guys out there when you're going in a three wide receiver set that really are playing three different positions. You've got a Z at an X and a slot. If you've got three receivers on the field, typically, and McColl is number two on the depth chart, which would have been Sammy Watkins spot when he was on the team, but he's not really the same kind of player as Sammy Watkins. So, you know, if, that position on the depth chart kind of indicates that he's going to get the second most snaps at wide receiver behind Tyree kill. Mm-hmm. That would be a huge change in his role from where he was the last two years, where he really was a guy that was getting sometimes like less than 10 snaps per game in really specialized, you know, route roles. So I think that's really interesting. I think it's positive, you know, obviously like, I don't think that Andy Reid, Andy Reid's not the kind of coach to give guys spots on the depth chart that they haven't earned. Like, I do feel confident. Yeah. I think that this information, it's the first depth chart, it's unofficial, but I do think this information is significant insofar as Andy Reid is not the kind of coach that's going to put guys up on the depth chart that haven't earned it and that that he wouldn't expect to be able to put there when the regular season starts. So with respect to Callaway and Kemp, I, I mean, Kemp, <laughs> Kemp has been getting camp buzz forever and hasn't really done anything i mean really all of these guys from pringle on down pringle demarcus robinson antonio callaway is obviously new to the chiefs uh but kemp and then you've got even garrick dieter these are guys that have showed out in camp before i will say this about the wide receiver position though like 
it is a position where guys traditionally prior to the last seven, eight years where we've seen a big wide receiver explosion in the league, that was typically thought of as a position that took some time to develop at the NFL level and where guys could potentially break out, you know, at a later age than say at running back or at tackle or even at tight end. I mean, it is a complicated offense to learn. Uh, we know Andy Reid runs a pretty complicated wide receiver route tree. He asks all the wide receivers to learn essentially every position. So the X, the Z and the slot wants guys to be able to move around to give the offense more unpredictability, more flexibility on the field. And, you know, I, I, who knows these guys could be on the verge of a breakout we really don't know until the season starts but you know what i'm just going to lean into it and accept the hype and maybe this is marcus kemp's here marcus kemp for mvp i found this interesting um this this tweet from pete sweeney i actually just stole the first sentence that he had in the tweet but he <laughs> said i find this interesting and i did find his tweet interesting he said as byron pringle mike hughes demarcus robinson and darius shepherd get return work McCool Hardman joined fellow top skill players, Clyde Edwards Hilaire, Tyreek Hill, and Travis Kelsey in the quarterback competition showcase instead. So he's wondering, he said, I wonder if, you know, McColl's long for the return game or if he merges as a big offensive piece. So that's kind of, I, I kind of feel like that's a blessing that McColl is not returning kicks. <laughs> yeah, um, for sure. For, you know, for reasons that are innumerous. But, you know, not only is his fumbling maybe a thing in the past, but, you know, that does protect a guy that the Chiefs are potentially planning on as your number two wide receiver from going out there and getting smashed in the return game all the time. But yeah, I think that's um that's kind of a double good good thing for the Chiefs to not have McColl back there. Yeah, 100 percent We've complained about him as yeah. a returner since he joined the team. He's very fast, but he just doesn't pick good spots, I don't feel like to return. And some of that could be Dave Tobe, but there are other guys on the team, and there are other guys on the team like Marcus Kemp who also yeah. have had some issues in the return game in the past. Um, I mean, I think you're right. Like, number one, if he's getting moved off the return game, that means that they do view him as a more important piece of the offense. It's just like when Tyreek Hill came in, in his second year in the league, mm -hmm. you know, he kind of came in and they they stopped using him on kicks. I think he like he's returned maybe two or three kicks like in his entire career after his rookie season yep they kind of took him off kick returns they still put him back on punts from time to time in his second year and still do occasionally but when you break out and you're a guy who's going to play close to 100 of the snaps on offense you can't be risked in the return game so that's good i mean that means it's good news for mccall's development as a receiver it's also good news for the Chiefs' return game because to be honest he kind of stinks at it i wonder if the last tyreek hill punt return attempt was the playoff game against houston i feel like yeah it, that sounds I, right i feel like that it probably right. was and i think after that when he fumbled it they were like all right guy we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and get some other guys back there so let's switch to the other side of the ball now the defensive depth chart we will start with the big boys up front uh first name on here left defensive end chris jones chris jones is definitely not just going to be playing Oof. some defensive end he's listed as the team's starting left defensive end so that's not you know, that this is a position change for him. And while I think he's still going to get some snaps rushing up the middle, he's an outside guy now. He's They're going to keep him outside. And he and Frank are listed as the starting defensive ends. And Alex Okafor and Mike Dana are backing them up with Taco Charlton serving as the third defensive end. That's a ridiculous five defensive ends there without even the middle guys. So they'll have a really good rotation going if they stay healthy. 
Yeah, uh, just to confirm, I did look it up. That was Tyree Kill's last punt return. Nice. He did not return any punts last year. He did not return any kicks last year. But yes, I I agree. I mean, this is this is to me on the defensive side, the thing that I'm most excited about is the defensive line group and the way that the edge rushers are kind of shaping up. I mean, there's just a lot of meat up there. Like yeah. the addition of Jerron Reed on the interior, I think just opens so much up for Chris Jones to move out to the outside, but also to rotate in and out i just think like the flexibility here is really fascinating and we've talked about it in the past steve spagnolo is a guy that i just like i get excited about that personnel and that flexibility because i know he's a coach that's going to take full advantage of that and brendan daly too who obviously is the defensive line coach i just like there's so much to think about there for opposing offenses and i i just can't wait to see what they cook up yeah, and speaking of the interior guys, so those are the five outside. And then Jaron Reed's joined with Derek Noddy on the inside with Turk Wharton and Colin Saunders backing them up. So mm. I'm sure there are some teams out there that feel pretty good about their defensive line depth, but I'm not sure if I've ever been as comfortable with nine starters along the Chiefs def- defensive front before these guys. I mean, they are they're ready to plow. That is a that's a ton of talent. That's some first round talent. That's some kind of late developing talent. That's big money guys. That's you know, your, your depth pieces, everybody just seems to be on the verge of having a really good season on that for all nine of those guys. And there are then, you know, there could be some guys along the way that, that surprise us, but I just, I feel like if the chiefs are going to take a step forward on defense, or at least hold their ground as being a top, you know, 10, 11 or so defense, it's going to, those, those defensive fronts are going to be the reason why. And I'm, I think they're going to, I think they're going to kill it. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I, I can't wait. So then the depth chart. So this defensive depth chart is based on a dime package. So while the linebacker depth chart shows Nick Bolton serving back up to Willie Gay, he'll be the weak side linebacker in all the base defenses. And then the grizzled vet, the slim down Anthony Hitchens, he's been getting just killer reviews in camp himself. He's one of the other guys that's getting a lot of buzz, especially for the, um, the increased athleticism. He, you know, the speed of the linebackers is so much more important in today's version of the NFL than it ever has been before. And you can kind of rely on those beefy guys up front to be like the big, mean, big fat tacklers. And you need your linebackers to be able to cover ground. The Anthony Hitchens model of old, kind of the big thumping middle linebacker just doesn't really, it doesn't play as well as it used to. And by all accounts, Hitchens has been running extra fast this month. He's covering a ton of ground. It's just a really, I think that would be a huge level up for the linebacker room in general. Yeah, and I just think like it's it's great to see him. Obviously, he's been the green dot guy for a while. I know when he was out sidelined with that hamstring injury, that was something that Willie Gay was getting a little bit of time with. Obviously, the green dot is the essentially the defensive play caller for the defense. He's yep. the guy with the headset that's able to talk to the coaches on the sideline and, the and defensive kind quarterback. of line, the defensive quarterback who's lining everybody up. And obviously. I think that's huge for Anthony Hitchens. He certainly seems much more comfortable in this defense. Really, the latter half of last year looked really good and really comfortable out there. Physically, you know, he obviously has made a transformation too. But, I mean, this is the most speed that the Chiefs have had at linebacker, I think, probably since Spagnuolo has come over. The second wave of the linebacker depth chart is interesting to me. Obviously, this is a dime formation where there's only two starting linebackers, but Behind Willie Gay is the rookie, Nick Bolton, and behind Anthony Hitchens is our old nemesis, (laughs) Ben Neiman. And behind him, Darius Harris and Dorian O'Daniel, which 
boy, Dorian O'Daniel, I remember thinking he was going to be something. He had I thought that he was one in the witness play. protection program. I thought it was too. He had that one play against, I think the Bengals, I want to say his sure. year in 2018 yeah, where he right. chased, chased somebody down and made a great tackle. And it was one of his first games uh, after getting hurt as a rookie. And that's like the only thing he's ever done in his <laughs> NFL career. He's behind Ben Neiman on the depth chart, which Oof. is not, it's not where you want to be, but no. I think it's good group. I mean, like, as much as we want to poo-poo Ben Neiman, he's essentially the third or fourth linebacker on this team. And while I would prefer that he be the fifth or sixth linebacker on this team, you know, Nick Bolton and Darius Harris, I think, have a chance to push Ben Neiman. Yeah, I agree with that. I think the linebacking core is going to be, you know, they're, they're going to be huge in the development of both really Gay and Bolton specifically. Um, I mean, that could, if they both turn out, you know, they're two second round picks and if they both turn out to kind of have the ceiling that the chiefs dream that they would, when they drafted them, that's a hell of a group. That's a really between Hitchens and those two guys, they could really, really cause some trouble. And then the secondary. So the dime secondary has the starters are ward on the outside and opposite of him, Mike Hughes on the outside, um, and Sneed in the slot. And so, of course, Sneed would shift to the outside in the base defense, but that is just a huge return on investment for Mike Hughes, who the Chiefs snagged from the Vikings for just the low price of a pick swap, swapping their sixth rounder in 2022 for the Vikings' seventh to get Mike Hughes, who's a former first-round pick. And we talked about him a little bit when the Chiefs acquired him, but Hughes, has, who everyone has observed looks like a Kirkland brand Patrick Mahomes, has been a killer in camp. He's been <laughs> yes. one of the only guys who's been able to hang with Tyreek Hill on a consistent basis. So if this guy is good, like literally the Chiefs are never going to lose again. Yeah, I mean, I am really wary of training camp reports for cornerbacks ever since the Chiefs brought in former Oakland Raider David Amerson. Oh, he killed training camp that year. He crushed it in training camp. And I remember <laughs> specifically seeing several reps where he hung with Tyreek Hill. And then as soon as they got to the preseason games, it wasn't, I don't even think he made it to the regular season. I think they cut him <laughs> in the preseason right. I think to right. sign Orlando Skandrick. I'm pretty sure yeah. they brought in Skandrick to replace, uh, to replace him. But man, uh, yeah, I mean, it would be great. He certainly is a guy, unlike David Amerson, that comes with, the pedigree and the juice of, you know, being a former, a former Viking. So, you know, a team that actually knows how to draft cornerbacks, unlike the Raiders and a guy that, you know, I mean, his pedigree is a former first round pick certainly would suggest that he has quite a bit of talent. I, I'm excited to see that. And I, I meant to make this point under the linebackers tab, you know, why I'm so excited about the defensive line and the safety group, which we're going to talk about here in a second is because the Chiefs have kind of shown under Steve Spagnuolo that they don't need to have very good linebacker play and they don't have, need to have the most talented cornerback group to be effective on defense. Yeah. What they have shown they need to be effective with Steve Spagnuolo's scheme is a defensive line that can stop the run and rush the passer and generate some, some pressure and safeties that know what they're doing and can cover and can be versatile on the back end. And so you know, the, the Chiefs have had bad linebacker play, and I don't know. I mean, middling cornerback play, probably. Yeah, middling cornerback play. In terms of investment in, yeah. in salary and talent and draft picks, I mean, like bottom 10 in the NFL the last couple of years, and they played in two straight Super Bowls, and it would have been three straight Super Bowls. I, I think if Steve Spagnuolo had been the defensive coordinator in 2018, there's almost no way that the Chiefs aren't in the Super Bowl. I mean, they should have been in the Super Bowl with Bob Sutton as their yeah. defensive coordinator. Right? That's right. So, if we had had a coaching change before that season, mm. 
I feel comfortable that we'd be talking about this this being our fourth straight Super Bowl that we're going for now. Mm. Alas, Patrick, that's Patrick not... Mahomes never not know the Super Bowl. Yeah, right. Exactly. Gosh, um, and he already fun, doesn't but... not know the AFC Championship game. So, like, exactly, still a pretty good sitch. So, let's talk about those safeties first. Sure. We have your boy, liker of your tweets, the Honey oh, Badger yeah. himself. Let's talk about uh, when you got a notification that Matthew liked another one of your tweets. Oh yeah. Well, so Tyron Matthew follows me on Twitter, which is a weird experience because I don't have the coveted blue check mark yet. And while I certainly, I operate a podcast, I'm, I'm, I'm a member of, you know, chief sports Twitter and everything like that. You know, your boy's got quite a few followers. I'm, I'm trying to get over the 6,000 hump. I'm like 20 away. So go follow you know, him. Wanna, yeah. Go follow me. If you don't already, whatever, whatever, whatever it's, I'm not here to beg for followers. I am here to tell you that I was at Mama's Fish House yesterday, which is the finest restaurant in all of Maui. It's my first <laughs> time going there. It's very expensive, but I highly recommend it. It was exceptional across the board. I tweeted a picture of my food because it was literally like one of the best things I've ever had. It was this, I'm not going to remember the name of the fish sure, now, but it was you? this nice, mild, buttery, flaky fish that the chef then stuffed with crab and lobster, mm. okay, and then wrapped it up in this macadamia nut crust and like fried it. Ugh. Oh, Jesus. it was so good. It was unbelievable. And uh, my wife, who is allergic to all of those things, and my, <laughs> my brother-in-law, who's allergic to literally all of those things, they couldn't eat any of it. So I got the whole meal. Nobody was able to eat any of my food. And I tweeted the picture of it, and Tyron Matthew popped a like on there. And so, you know, I Major mean, we're, we're tight. I mean, that's like uh, the second or third one of my mm-hmm. tweets that he's liked. You know, he, he replied to me a couple weeks ago. I feel like we're, we're trending in the right direction. Now I just got to land the big fish so to speak, Patrick Mahomes. Mm, yeah. I don't well, know what I need to tweet about to get that, but I'm well, working on it. I feel like you need to kind of stoke the fire with Tyron a little bit, get some positive mm-hmm. yeah, vibes sure, going, get some back get, and Get forth. the guys in the locker room talking about me a little exactly. bit. Exactly. Like, get him on the pod. about this guy, Birdlaw? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be oh, a blast. Totally, 100%. So opposite of liker of your tweets, we have on the depth chart, not Juan Thornhill, we have Daniel Sorens. Now- He doesn't last- even have Twitter, I don't think uh yeah i think that's i think that's correct yeah i don't think he has a twitter he doesn't last, seem like the type that would last year dan Sorensen was also listed on the final official depth chart but then Juan thornhill went ahead and started opposite matthew in week one so you know i don't think that rotation the the second or third safety really matters they're they're all three going to be out there a lot and they're going right. to be rotating around and they're going to you know that's it's a solid one through three everyone say say what you will about dan Sorensen, but Clearly the dude has come up big in some big moments and, you know, Thornhill's very versatile. We all know what Badger brings to the group. I mean, I really feel like after, you know, after a lot of positive vibes with Anthony Hitchens and the linebacker group, I don't really see a weakness position group wise on this defense, which is a very welcome change from most years going into the the camp. Yeah, I agree with that. And, you know, I, I feel like at this point, going in as the number two safety on the depth chart is probably like part of Dan Sorensen's contract. Like yeah, literally like nice. they get, they write yes. it in there. It's like, all right, well, we're going to, we're going to pay you veteran minimum uh-huh. and you're going to come in, but you're going to get to play like 90% of the snaps. Yep. And I mean, provided that he doesn't get COVID because he's decided not to get the vaccine. That's sure. Whatever. That's, that's neither here nor there, but I feel like at this point, it's almost like he's contractually obligated to be listed second on the safety depth chart. But obviously if Thornhill shows that he's healthy, I don't think we're going to have any issues with who the two best safeties on the team are. And that's a good team. 
it's a hell of a team. So that wraps up uh, the news about the Chiefs and the depth chart and all that stuff. So now let's uh, let's wrap up the show with some news around the NFL. It's time to get into what is happening. We'll start off with our guy, Josh Allen. He signed Josh. a six-year contract extension that will keep him in Buffalo through 2028. He has an average of $43 million a year. $258 million was the total extension, 150 of that guaranteed money. So from our perspective, Mahomes is already not even the highest paid quarterback in the league until Allen's contract expires in 2028. That Mahomes deal was compared side by side with Josh Allen from a um, a former agent that wrote for CBS that kind of broke down all the mechanisms of the contracts and the guarantees and all that stuff. And I thought it was really interesting to compare them side by side like that, but it just showed that Allen is getting paid more than Mahomes at almost every stage of his deal until then the final years when Allen's contract expires, Mahomes has the big, the big years at the end, but it, yeah, it's just a, uh, it's insane to me that, Patrick Mahomes signed his deal before Josh Allen and is now, you know, not going to be costing his team as much on this, on the salary cap as Josh Allen for the next six years. It's, it's crazy. It is crazy. And it's, it's amazing that it's an amazing thing, the Josh contract, right? Because we kind of saw with Mahomes, the big news there was it was a 10 year deal, a 12 year total. If you include his existing contract, essentially right. like a 10 year extension on his existing deal. And that was significant because it was it was right after the new CBA was signed, but it was before, you know, the cap started going up. And in fact, we knew that the cap was going to be going down this year, which it did. Um, but despite that, Mahomes committed to a 10-year extension. Now we saw Dak Prescott, Sean Watson, Russell Wilson, they locked in shorter-term deals where they could hit free agency again, you know, with the understanding that the cap's going to go up and in four years, you're going to be able to make more money than you make now. Josh Allen's deal is interesting because it kind of splits the middle a little bit. Like, obviously, he's still just 25. He's going to hit free agency after six years at 31 or 32, whatever it's going to be, depending on how the option years work and everything like that. Yeah. But Mahomes isn't going to be a free agent until he's 37. And, you know, <laughs> say that again. Yeah, he's not going to be a free agent until he's 37 years <laughs> old. And probably never because the Chiefs will obviously never. make him a chief for life. But, you know, what you really need to be comparing is what Josh Allen's next contract is going to look like, because mm -hmm. that's really like you mentioned the side-by-side -side comparison for the first six years of Allen's contract or the first six years of Mahomes contract. Mahomes is making less money and he's costing his team yeah. less money against the cap on the first six years of the deal. So really the question is what is Josh Allen's next contract going to look like compared to the back four or five years of Mahomes deal. And I mean, I can't imagine that he's not going to make more money than Mahomes then too. Yep. Because the salary cap started in 2028. I mean, yeah. Yeah. It's going to be the cap will be something like $300 million. And Josh yep. Allen will probably be getting paid $75 million a year or something crazy. Which like will that. probably be average for, or for the top tier quarterbacks in the NFL. Exactly. So it's definitely um, it, the, the foresight for the chiefs to get Mahomes for the next, and let's face it endorsement wise and and total net worth wise Mahomes is going to dwarf Josh Allen absolutely I mean he's going to sure. hit a billion dollars before Josh Allen makes 300 million career wise I mean he's going to so easily so he knows he has the security of his own brand and his own financial wealth that he knows he doesn't need to get it all from the Chiefs and he knows that with a lower contract hit a la Tom Brady's situation that 
the team has a higher chance of signing more players and being more successful. It's just, I, I, I marvel at how many aspects of Mahomes' situation with the Chiefs is literally perfect. And the salary is just another example where he just has made every decision to not only maximize the Chiefs' success, but to maximize his own success as well. It's, it's crazy. Well, the other thing about this deal, too, is that Josh Allen, while he had a great year last year, is not Patrick Mahomes. No. And no. we kind of glossed over that aspect of it. But Josh Allen isn't as good as Patrick Mahomes. Like, he's He's, he's good. had one good year out of three. Yeah, he's had one good year out of three. And we kind of talked about this when the contract was signed. We were just chatting about this the other day. But, you know, at least Josh Allen, his performance, his his improvement has been linear. He's gotten better from year one to year two, and then a big leap from year two to year three. But he still has to go out and show you that he can do it again. To me, the comparison that I raised with you off the air was to Carson Wentz. And Wentz was a little bit different because his big jump was in year two. But there's been a lot of of sort of, you know, revisionist, I don't want to say revisionist histories, but sort of hindsight 2020 with Carson Wentz, where they've gone back and looked at his 2018, 17 i guess it was season that was the year they went to the super bowl right 2017 that's right right. uh carson wentz's 2017 season where he got hurt late in the year and then Foles came in and won the super bowl they've gone back and looked at that season and realized that wow these numbers were good but actually his accuracy wasn't maybe as good if you break it down you know play by play or his decision making maybe actually wasn't that good the numbers look really good but when you break it down into its constituent parts, like maybe this wasn't sustainable. And then in hindsight with Wentz, obviously it was not, although he has a chance now to rebuild his career in Indy. I'm not saying that that's likely with Josh Allen, but it's definitely a risk for the bills to pay for, you know, obviously if, if 2020 is Josh Allen's true talent level and he's going to give them that level of performance every year, it's a great deal for the bills. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, it's a market deal, but a market deal is a good deal. For, especially for, for a superstar. For, yep. Yeah, for elite quarterback production, it's a good deal uh, yep. for the Bills. And it's a good deal for them to get six years out of it. It's not as good as getting 10 of Patrick <laughs> Mahomes. For less still, money. <laughs> yeah, for less money, but it's still good. I, yeah. I'm really fascinated to see, we've been talking about this for a couple of weeks now, to see what happens with Lamar Jackson. Because Lamar yes. Jackson is representing himself, which is a crazy thing for somebody to do with a contract that is going to be in you know the, the 200, 300, $400 million range. I just can't believe he's doing that. But now he's got Josh Allen getting paid. He has to get ready for the season and also represent himself in contract negotiations. I don't know. I can't wait to see what happens with it. Uh, but this is the first domino to fall. We'll see what happens with Baker Mayfield as well. Imagine for a second. So you're obviously you're a lawyer. You don't have to imagine that part, but that the, the paperwork that goes into ah, a deal of that magnitude where he just thinking about it right where he also has to concentrate on being an nfl quarterback which is a ton of work a ton of mind work i mean a ton of yes yes you know film and and study and all that stuff so he's already you know his brain is already working overload just trying to keep up with the nfl quarterback lifestyle and then you're going to throw the job of an agent which is you know agents work their asses off to get these deals done these are not just oh yeah let me just sign on the dotted line no matter what you guys say like that i just I can't believe that Lamar hasn't said, you know what, guys, this was a huge mistake. I am hiring a, a agent ASAP. I can't believe I thought I could do this. He still is just trying to go out there and be like, you know, he has no background with any of this stuff. He's Googling for sure. Like 
you know, template for NFL QB yeah, salary. Sure I mean, it's just, it's, it's bonkers. So speaking, speaking of, of the Ravens, Ravens. yeah, that's right. So <laughs> they lost rookie wide receiver Rashad Bateman for a uh, number of weeks, according mm. to John Harbaugh, not months, but due to a soft tissue injury in his right leg, he will be having groin surgery, which just, just sounds awful. I don't know yeah, what no, all goes on pleasant. in that, but I mean, just no good. So with the hamstring injuries to Hollywood Brown and Miles Boykin, the Ravens are officially thin at wide receiver. They have three active wide receivers on their depth chart right now. So yes, Sammy Watkins is the healthiest Ravens wide receiver right now. How screwed are they? Well, we play them in, I think, week two, right? Week two. Uh, the Chiefs are playing them very early on in the season. So I actually think this is a pretty week significant three, I think. This is a pretty significant news item. It's definitely in the first three weeks of the season. It's this three. is a pretty significant. This is a pretty significant news item because the Ravens have talked. I mean, Ravens fans in particular are big talkers. They've been talking about, you know, all the additions at wide receiver: Sammy Watkins, Rashad Bateman, Tylen Wallace, uh, and then the improvement from guys like Hollywood Brown and Miles Boykin. Well. All of those guys that I just mentioned, with the exception of Sammy and Tylen Wallace, who I think is pretty far down the depth chart, he was a later round pick, are hurt. And it's really tough for a rookie to come in and contribute off of a major injury kind of starting the year. The last guy that I can remember doing that is Odell Beckham Jr. in yeah. his rookie season. Yeah. Missed the first four or five weeks of a hamstring injury and then and came nuts. out and was the best wide receiver in the NFL yeah. that year as a rookie. It just doesn't happen very often. And it really hurts me as a two team owner of Rashad Bateman in dynasty to see him go down. He was tearing it up in camp, a guy that, uh, that we both really liked in the pre-draft process. I know our guy, Dan Harms had him as a wide receiver one in this draft class, which is Mm -hmm. crazy. It's it's a bold take a hot take from Dan, but (laughs) it goes to show that he has a lot of ability and the G's play the Ravens early. And if, if past history is any indication, the Ravens needed to do something different from what they were doing to be able to beat the chiefs, because to be frank, not only have they gotten beat the last three times, they're getting beat worse. Every time they play the chiefs, the the gap just seems to be getting larger and larger. And because they're trying the same thing, like you just said, they just keep exactly. And yeah, yeah, exactly. They do. And the fact that they went out and got some wide receiver help suggested maybe Mm -hmm. that they had something a little bit different in mind. And unfortunately now those wide receivers just don't look like they're going to be available when they play the chiefs. It pains me to bring this up, but the two, the last two times that the chiefs have gotten beaten, they played a team that did something different than what they were expecting. And of course the Raiders, you know, they, they did something different where they took deep shots and then the, the bucks completely changed their defensive game plan from a plan that got them torched in the regular season and right. combined with all the struggles that we've talked about with the offensive line. I mean, so, so you do have to throw the chiefs a curveball. You can't just go out there because they're so good at studying and they're so good at your tendencies and, and, you know, looking at you on game tape and then figuring out how to beat you that if you just bring your same offense, which is probably an indictment on the Ravens sort of one trick pony offense that they have, where if they come out in yeah, week two totally. and it they is. run every single play, the chiefs are going to run them out of the, the stadium. And we'll see if that, uh, we'll see if that transpires. That's actually not too far away, which is insane. That's September 19th and it's August 12th. I mean, yeah, that's it's just five weeks. It's five weeks from today. Right. It's crazy. I, I just want to, before we go on to the next news item, yeah. I, I think that's a perfect analogy, right? Like you can't, 
beat the chiefs with your fastball. Like you're going to yep. go out. It's like, pff, I throw 102 miles an hour. We're the best running team in the NFL. You know, like we blitz all the time and it works. And the chiefs are like, okay, <laughs> we throw, fastballs throw for breakfast. Yeah. Throw me 150 mile an hour fastball, bro. Yeah. Like what, yeah. Whatever. Like that's right. If, if you don't have something to throw the chiefs off balance and take the chiefs out of what the chiefs do well, you are not going to have a good time. And, and- I mean, and even if Ravens you do have that, you still it. probably aren't going to have a good time, but you're well, going to yeah. have a, a chance. Yeah, exactly. And the Ravens probably don't have a chance. We'll see. Uh, speaking of health, looks like everything is looking A-OK in Indianapolis. Carson Wentz, the aforementioned uh, former MVP candidate, and Quentin Nelson, they're all pro left guard, both on track to play in week one, which yeah. is kind of crazy because just last week we were talking about maybe them missing a significant chunk of the season. I mean, we're talking about at the very worst case scenario, them being out until sometime in October or maybe even like the first week of November. And somehow it looks like they're both going to play in week one. Yeah. And they both kind of had the same type of injury. And so they both, boy, that is incredible injury luck for the Colts. Incredible. And for, you know, a guy in Wentz that obviously needed, good fortune from the injury front for the first time in his career and Quentin Nelson, who is the heart and soul of that offensive line and really the offense. I mean, that's a, they basically were looking at immediately starting off battling with the Texans and Jags for the bottom of the AFC and not let alone the AFC South to now, you know, if Wentz puts together a good year from week one and Quentin Nelson's in the whole year, I mean, they're a, they're a pretty dangerous team. I'm I'm not going to say they're, you know, upper tier AFC, but they're certainly going to be able to beat some teams. So that just basically turned the entire fortunes of their 2021 season around if they're both healthy. Yeah. I mean, I'll believe it when I see it. I like, I'm not going to, yeah, I'll see it when I believe it. I'm not going to believe that Carson Wentz is out there in week one until he's out there in week one, but we'll see. We'll see. Well, well, we do know that Philip Rivers can put down his phone for the time being, although Poor Dak Prescott, man. This oh is a gosh. literal word-for-word tweet from the Cowboys. You ready <laughs> this for this? Tweet is, this tweet is ridiculous. It's not a setback, and it's not a reason to worry, but QB Dak Prescott is planning on getting another MR. <laughs> That's the tweet. I can't believe I can't believe that an official team Twitter account tweeted that out. It's preposterous. I, when I, I saw people quoting, so I'm, I'm on island time. Yeah. I'm checking, checking Twitter periodically. I don't, I'm not going to not check Twitter. Come sure. On. Like I'm not, but I'm not, not like your normal. I'm not, I'm yeah. not refreshing it every 15 minutes. Like I normally do. So I actually caught the, the, like the, the jokes from this tweet first. Like I saw people like, you know, paraphrasing it it's not a setback it's not a reason to worry but you know whatever the world is going to end in 20 minutes whatever whatever it would be whatever jokes people were throwing out there like i caught those and i was like well this is weird like what are they referencing and i typed it and i went over to the cowboys official twitter account i was like what what is happening 